are the things so important to understand. My Redeemer lives. He lives. And um, so often, uh, I've been speaking uh, at the Bible College this week on uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, God set order in the universe, and he knows, and he knows our inability. Now, religion loves to make out we can do a lot. Religion loves to make out that we're the ones that are going to do everything. I often hear people say, oh, you know, we can win the world for Jesus. Well, I've got news for you, you can't. Uh, they say, well, we're going to take this town or this city. I've got news for you, you can't. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. Well, great boast. But the truth is, you can't. Religion says we can. And I just want to quickly look at the religious people. Um, basically, they despise the finished work of the cross. A person who, who believes he can do something is ignoring the fact there's one redeemer. His name is one savior. His name is one Lord. His name is... Okay, so you aren't going to redeem anyone, are you? You're not going to save anyone, are you? You're not going to help anyone, are you? Not really. There's only one Savior. His name... He's the only one that shed the blood. 2,000 years ago, he overcame the enemy. He conquered every devil, every demon, every principality, every power. 2,000 years ago. You cannot add to that. The next thing religious people do is they punish themselves. And a lot of people think that, that somehow God is expecting us to do something. And so there's a, a terrible kind of charismatic influence on trying to get people to fast, to pray, to fight. That is not biblical. It is totally unbiblical. Uh, people say, when you fast, but he made it clear, did our Lord, he said, when the bridegroom's taken away, he said, then shall my servants fast. Well, of course, if you're out of life and the bridegroom's been taken from you, you're in trouble. You better start fasting. But if you're a Christian and he lives within you, the bridegroom's here. Where two or three are gathered together in your midst, there am I. Is that what he says? He's in the midst of us, isn't he? So... It's not a time to fast, it's a time to let the oppressed go free. It's trying to break every bond. It's time to do what Isaiah said. And the third thing is, they seek to do the work of God for him. Oh, a religious person likes to take over where God should work alone. And he wants to do God's work for him. And it becomes very fruitless. And making an effort to do what only God can do is silly. I, I pray for the sick, I see miracles, I've seen beautiful miracles of healing. Um, it was interesting, a, a lady came on Friday night and um, Carolyn went up and said, oh, why did you come? Oh, well, because such and such a man came about 12 months ago, completely healed, told me about it and said, this is a place you should go. Well, he never came back to say he'd been completely healed, he just was healed. So Karen said, well, what's his name? She said, I can't remember his name. I met him, and he told me to come here. They know there's healing. But it's in the name of Jesus. Jesus heals. Not us, it's him. And you have to understand that. And often you don't know what God's done. Because miracles belong to Jesus. They're his. He does it. And uh, I don't ever seek to do his work for him. I think it's much easier just to preach the gospel. Those who he's going to save, he'll save. And those who are sons of perdition, they're going to carry on in their old lifestyle, and that's the end of it. How can you help someone? Well, you just preach the gospel. And in the end, God will do what God will do. However, there is the um, Wagner kind of teaching that's around, which I've been talking about where you want to fight devils and demons, you want to take your town for Jesus. And, all. Uh, and Isaiah has a nice little word to say about it. I think we'll start there. 
If you turn with me to Isaiah 26. You know, it's good you've got a Bible. You'll never go wrong if you read it. That's providing it's a good authorized version, of course. Um, in chapter 26. Uh, let's take verse 16. Lord, in trouble they have visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. Like a woman with child that draweth near to the time of her delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pangs. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, bought for what? wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Uh, a terrible problem. They'd gone through the pangs of labor. And I hear Christians say, oh, you know, I, I really felt I was interceding. I was, I, I was in the pangs of birth intercession and they they call themselves great intercessors uh, you don't bring forth reality that way do you know there's one who ever lives to intercede for us his name is Jesus and when he intercedes hey the work gets done but most people just bring forth wind and all this spiritual warfare is brought forth a lot of wind and no results I think it was John Austin stood up uh, down at the o Oasis of Love down in Houston uh, and he said, well, he said for 10 years we've done spiritual warfare, we've bound devils, we've claimed victory over the city, we've done everything and nothing's changed. 10 years and nothing's changed. He said, from now on, it's over. We've done enough of it, we're not doing it anymore, it doesn't work. He was a bold man. He admitted it was stupid. But unfortunately, there's people who go around teaching it, telling you, oh, you know, the devil's over a city, the devil's here, the devil's there. Well, forget it. It says in my Bible, give no place to the devil. And then they go back and they begin to look at um, uh, most of the doctrine they've got came from anthropologists. And they went back and looked at folklore customs, Chinese customs, and, and they looked at everything. And they said, well, that's how we'll identify the demons over cities. Galatians chapter with spiritual warfare. Now, verse 19. When? Now. now. The works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Verse 20. What does it start with in verse 20? And second? Now, what is that? What is it? Work of the flesh. Is it spiritual? No. It's a work, work of the flesh. It's work of the flesh. Terrible work of the flesh. Many people think witchcraft is a work of the spirit. It's not, it's a work of the flesh. Now is that right or wrong? That's what the Bible says. People say, oh, you know, um, terrible. I remember my dear friend Benson Ederhoser one day he came to his front door when he'd started his church in Benin and the witch doctor had come, killed a cockerel, drunk the blood, put curses and fetishes on him, nailed it to his door. When he opened the door, it fell off on the, on the 
doorstep, he just kicked it to the side and carried on his way. Um, why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, and a work of the flesh can't hurt you. The only power the devil ever has is the power between your ears if you believe it. And a lot of Christians are superstitious. They're always wanting protection. They're always wanting... I, I meet Christians who are always pleading the blood. You know, oh dear, you know, I plead the blood over this. I plead. It's not scriptural. It's not Christian. It's a fetish. It's like voodoo. It's the work of the flesh. You don't need protection. If Christ lives in you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. They need protection, not you. When you're around, they're in trouble, not you. The devil's got a problem with you if Christ is in you. Isn't that right? If you've got someone greater in you than's in the world, it's the world that's in trouble, not you. Hello? You want to get your mind set right. Strongholds of Satan are in the mind, in the reasonings and your imaginations. You imagine you need, I don't need protection. I used to meet people and as soon as they go out to their car, lay hands on the car and pray that God would give them journey mercies, keep them safe. What do you think God is? He, hey, God's my heavenly father. He loves me. I expect him to look after me. I'm not living in a fetish world of voodoo. I live in Christ. Faith says God is great. God is almighty. God is sovereign. What has happened in the church? They've lost a vision of a sovereign, almighty God, all-powerful, omnipotent, and they've got a God who somehow, you know, you've got to keep going to him and say, Oh God, protect me. Hey, the devil's in trouble. The world's in trouble. Christ is alive. He's risen. He's almighty, all-powerful. We're not to bow. Paul says, when you put on the whole armor of God and you've got God's armor on, you stand. You stand with a sword in your hand. You stand in authority. You stand in power. Nothing, nothing can overcome you. No weapon that's formed against you is going to prosper. Nothing is ever going to rob you of victory. Now that's a Christian life. I hope that's the way you look at things. Or you want to, oh, you know, the devil this, the devil that. <sighs> devil nothing. You're your own problem. Let's look at it um, in Exodus. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 7. I'll just see how it goes in the beginning. Exodus 7. He says this in verse 1, And the Lord said unto unto Moses, See? See what? I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. And thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, and that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies, and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt, and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you. Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, and before his servants it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, 
Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rods swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Do you know, who's in charge? Who's dealing with the heart of Pharaoh? Who's going to get the glory? What's Moses? He's just a, a, an observer and an obedient person. He does what God tells him, and God's manipulating the whole circumstance. What you've got to understand is our God is a sovereign God. God is in control. Don't ever think in your life that circumstances or people are out of control. I want to tell you, my God is sovereign and almighty. He controls everything. He upholds the whole world by the power of his word. Nothing exists but by his word. It's upheld by his word. He's working out his purposes. My God is an almighty God. Don't think that situations come in your life and somehow God has lost control. My God is always in control. The church has lost the ability to recognize the almightiness of God. What has happened is the charismatic church has somehow come to make God their servant. They're turning around and saying, oh yeah, well, you know, um, God can't move without us. I want to tell you, God can do what he likes. He does not need you. Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, if you don't praise God, he said, the very stones will cry out. Do understand, my God is in control. Don't ever let your heart get the idea that somehow the devil's got the victory or the devil's going to get... God is God. Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent God. He's glorious. And Moses realized that and off he goes to talk to Pharaoh and God's saying, well, he's not going to listen to you. Go tell him what I tell you. Go do the miracles I tell you to do. I'm going to harden his heart so he won't listen. Now why did God do that? Because God's God. Calvin said, when you ask the question why, you're already in sin. Got to learn to allow God to do what God does. His ways are past finding out. Have you noticed how God will do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it? And years later you'll realize why he did it that way. God's smart. You're a dummy. If you think you know why he does things. I don't know, I don't understand. I've found that God is God and he knows everything. Isaiah puts it there. He says, who's instructed the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Why? Now we've got prophets and charismatics who can tell God exactly what to do. Their prayer time is explaining to God exactly how the situation is and telling him what he's got to do about it. Not that God listens to them. He's got better things to do. He knows his children and he looks after them. All right? Let's go on. Have you got that clear? Hello? Sure. God's sovereign in your life. Don't think, oh, well, this is just a story. These stories, it says in Corinthians, were left as an example to us. This said God was the church in the wilderness. If you think the church started at Pentecost, no, he says this, in Acts, he says this is the church in the wilderness. You'll find over in Exodus 14. You remember the children of Israel left after the firstborn was slain. And one of the things I always point out to people...
But they get these strange notions about the blood as protection. Now the blood is not protection. The blood was never to protect anyone. Blood was for cleansing, not for protection. Blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. All right? It never was protection. In fact, the only thing the blood ever protected when they, they slew the lamb, you remember every house slew a lamb? And they put the blood on the doorpost and lintels, didn't they? Yeah, but it was the angel of the Lord that passed over, not a devil, not a demon. It says the angel of the Lord passed over. Um, and it was letting uh, the angel of the Lord know that there were people who had the lamb sacrificed the lamb was, the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and lintels. Now, when they came out from Egypt, the thing that mattered was every one of them had eaten a lamb. There wasn't one vegetarian amongst them. Praise God. Glory to God. You know, a devil worship vegetarians. Think you can get health from a lettuce leaf? It's idolatry eat meat and everyone according to their eating ate the lamb wonderful and when they went out where did the blood remain on the doorpost and lintels now if they needed protection from the blood they should have carried the doorpost and lintels with them which they didn't what was protection is they had the lamb within Every one of them had eaten of the lamb. You've got to have the word of life in you. It's got to be part of your being. Now the blood cleanses from sin. It's not protection. That's a deception. A lot of people feel it is. So here are the children of Israel. They've come out of Egypt and they've been told by Pharaoh to go. They've spoiled the Egyptians, taken their silver and their gold and their purple. The Egyptians gave it to them. Off they go into the wilderness, and suddenly you find here, verse 8 of 14, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping. Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And Moses said, and said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Uh, typical people. That is what a pastor is always left with. Uh, you know, no matter how many times God meets a person, when they're in trouble, they'll throw it in your teeth. Really. Now, the children of Israel had seen all the miracles. They'd seen the river turn to blood. They knew about the frogs that invaded. They knew about the flies. They knew about the plagues. They knew about the firstborn dying. They heard the cries in the houses as the firstborn was slain of the Egyptians. They knew that all. But when it came down to it, and God had brought them out with a high hand, who did they blame? Huh? Who did they blame? Moses. Poor old Moses. He hadn't done the miracles. He was just there obeying God. He hadn't gone. He hadn't brought them out. It was God who did it. God had intervened. But the amazing thing is, you never come to the one who is the real mover, 
the real miracle worker, they always blame the man who's on earth. Poor old Moses. What are you bored us out here? They didn't acknowledge, they forgot every past miracle, they forgot every past time that God had moved in their life, they forgot every blessing. When trouble comes, blame the pastor. Poor Moses. But that's the way humanity is. You know, it's amazing. People can have God move in their lives, bless them for years, and all of a sudden when trouble comes, you, you wait and see who they blame. They don't come to God, you know, wish I'd never ever got involved, wish I'd never... Hey, you're your problem. And Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Who's going to do the fighting? God. That is the truth. I don't need to fight. God will do it for me. The Lord shall fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. I love it. God is the one that does the warfare. Our God is a man of war. And you'll find it... Um, Um, well, let's, let's just read on. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have got me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And, you know, so the angel of the Lord switches places and keeps them apart. And then, and it came to pass, verse 24, that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the hosts of the Egyptians through a pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the hosts of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hands over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength, when morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And then you um, have the song of Moses. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. Spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare him a habitation. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Verse 6. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. It, it's, uh, you need to read it in your own time. I don't want to dwell on the Song of Moses. You can preach a sermon on that alone. But who, who was the victor? Who was the man of war? Who didn't fight? Children of Israel. Who didn't pray? Children of Israel. Who didn't intercede? 
children of Israel. Who got delivered? Who did it? Who parted the waters? Did Moses pray? What did Moses do? Obey. Why is it that Christians have got the idea that prayer is the key to deliverance? It's not obediences. You do what God says. Prayer is a substitute for obediences in this day and age. People want to pray instead of obey. Lift up the rod, waters part, they go over on dry ground. I've heard people say, well, the place where the children of Israel went over, it was one of those shallow places in the Red Sea. And it was, you know, in the shallows, it means, and, uh, and it was just so shallow they could walk over. Well, I've heard people say that to try and explain away the miracle, but it's a greater miracle if you think that it was so shallow they could walk over that the whole of the Egyptian army was drowned in real shallow water. I mean, that is so ridiculous. That'd take a bigger miracle, wouldn't it? Drown a whole army in shallow water. People always want to contradict what the Bible teaches. I just believe it. Wonderful. But who did all the fighting? God. Don't ever get the idea that you've got to fight. God fights for you. The Lord shall fight for you. You hold your peace. So many Christians, they think there's some big battle they've got to win. No, God fights. And he always wins. And that's what's so wonderful about it. Go to Exodus 23. Exodus 23. We'll look on. Verse 24 of 23, you can read it in context later. I just want to pull out what I'm talking about. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and break down their images. And thou shalt serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send the hornets before thee, which will drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. Little, but by little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. God says, look, I'm going to do it. And in your life, God deals with things, but he doesn't deal with everything and make you perfect in a second and give you all victory in a second. He allows you to develop, so little by little, what he's given you and what he's cleared for you, you can take. If you had everything in a second, when I started the church, I want to tell you, I started with three people in a living room 24 years ago. Just three people. I didn't know it was a, a 7 o'clock in the morning Bible study. God said to me, right at the beginning, he said, you know what you don't want. I knew what I didn't want. God said, well, build what you do want. When you know what you don't want, you've got to find what you do want. A lot of pastors, they know what they don't want, they never find what they do want. God said to me, build. So I began with three people. Now, if God had told me then what was going to be in years to come, I would not have been a happy man. I couldn't have coped. I started with three people I learned. It wasn't long before there were 60 people. Nine months. 
wasn't long before miracles were happening, people were coming. Uh, simple. Very simple. It's easy to, to um, do it when God's doing it. It's hard when he isn't. And now I look back and I see God's given us a, a school, he's given us the church, he's given us a Bible college. We're now um, connected with ORU so we can do degrees. He, he's taken us step by step. 24 years later I look and think, but God did it little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Why? Because he understood. Doesn't mean you haven't got total victory where you are. But there's other areas to take in your life. There's development, growth. A babe, when he's born, a babe is perfect. Everything's there in embryo. Actually, when it's born, it's not embryo. When it's born, everything's in the child. But the child has to grow. The brain will develop. The faculties will develop. Education will come. Strength comes. Growth comes. And naturally, the child develops to become a man. And when the child becomes a man, begins to do the things a man does. But a babe won't do what a man does when it's a babe. And God understands that. And in his principles, he never puts us in a situation which we haven't got the capacity to deal with. He won't put someone into a situation where he hasn't developed over a period of time because God has eternity. He's patient. And God takes time to build into you. And then you can stand and you can take your position in the body of Christ and you can be functioning because of experience. If it took Jesus 30 years before God entrusted him with ministry, and he was God himself, the Son of God. But for 30 years he learned. At the age of 12, he realized he'd got a real ability in his brain. He had to go and be subject to Joseph and Mary until he was 30 years old. It was then the Holy Ghost anointed him for the ministry, came down upon him in Jordan, and then he went out. Do you notice when he went into the wilderness, he was driven in the wilderness by the Spirit, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And I always tell people, if you want to fast 40 days and 40 nights, remember at the end of it you'll meet the devil. If you think you're going to meet God, you've got a surprise. And there was the devil. Now when the devil came, did he pray? Or, or did he say, it is written? It is written. It is written. See, you use the sword. There was no warfare prayer. It was the sword of the Spirit. And here we have a promise of God. Hey, you're going to take the land. Every place where the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you for an inheritance. It's yours. Now what you've got to do is you've got to understand, God said, I'll drive out the enemies from before you. Don't you ever try and drive them out. Years ago, uh, I looked um, when we bought Penile. We bought it. I looked at the fields. And I looked across over the hedge and I saw a house which came round, had a tennis court, came round and, and it was adjoining ours. Now if I was one of these kind of modern day Christians, I'd do, you know, kind of a heathen march round the perimeter of it, thinking I could claim it. But I'm not one of those. I looked over and I thought that house would be real handy addition in the fields at the back. Lord, I said I like that. What did I do about it? Nothing. I went home, got on with life. Four years later, one Sunday night, knock on my door. I opened it, man I didn't recognize. He said, excuse me, he said, I own the house up the road, second along, the one that adjoins your property with the tennis court. He said, I, I've come to ask you if you'd like to buy it. I said, I would. He said, how, I said, how much? And he told me, I said, fine, done. Shook hands, said, that's it, I'll have it. Then... 
About, um, I don't know how long it was, six months later, a man from down the road comes and he says, uh, excuse me, I own all the fields at the back. Would you like to buy them? I would. How much? Told us, done. Just like that. You say, well, you didn't march around and claim them. Why should I? You see, God drives out your enemies from before you. When God wants to give you something, he'll give it to you. When you start claiming it, you're stepping into presumption. God is in control. He holds everything in the palm of his hand. But if you become presumptuous and you try to go beyond God, beyond your measure, beyond what you're able to do, you get yourself in bother. But if you wait for God, God will always do it the right way at the right time and enable you to enter into it with ease. Don't ever outreach yourself. That's how people get into trouble. Big visions. What you can afford, that you buy. What you can't afford, don't buy it. You know, not for me. Exodus 33, God says this, I will send, verse 2, I will send an angel before thee and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Huh. God said, I'll send my angel. Now Moses says, no, if you don't go with us and your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going up. Um, but God said, I'm going to do it. God is the one who does it. Don't ever get um, the wrong idea. In um, Joshua chapter 1, go on with Joshua chapter 1. just want to show you it didn't stop with Moses. Now, um, Joshua 1, verse 1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land that I do give to them, even the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness um, and this Lebanon, even unto the riv great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have, I, have not I commanded thee, be strong, and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. It's God who does it. God says, I've given you this land. God said, it's yours. I'll do it. Do you know, all, all that the children of Israel had to do was obey. Simple. All we have to do as Christians is obey. We don't have to get ourselves into a state. We don't have to worry. God does it. One of the wonderful things is you don't have to get uptight. I never ever start kind of beseeching God and trying to intercede. I've never done it, never will. Because I know one who ever lives to make intercession for me. His name's Jesus and I think he's better at it than I am. And if he's making intercession for me and he's the one doing it, I think I will relax and let him do what he promised to do. God will always see you through. He won't fail you. He's not going to let you down. He'll be with you all the days of your life. He'll be your strength. He'll cause things to happen. 
He won't do it in a rush, he'll do it steadily. But believe me, he'll do it. Little by little, he'll bring you into the place he always intended you to have. He'll keep his promises. Not one of them will fall to the ground. You'll learn to put your feet in the right place and you'll possess the land. You'll possess your soul in obeying the truth. You'll purify it. You'll find that life of God in you. It's God's work. Don't think it's yours. Okay? Um, just to mention it in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 5, you remember, you needn't turn to it, but Dagon, the image of Dagon was stuck right in front of the ark and, and down came Dagon, fell on his face and the, the image broke. Because where the presence of God is, no idol will stand. And all through, uh, Elijah, when he called fire from heaven, you remember the priests of, of um, Baal jumping up, cutting themselves and everything? And Elijah calls fire from heaven, then he takes a sword and slaughters a lot. Lovely. And um, God is the one that does it. He's always on our side. Victory is God-given. Um, Psalm 98, verse 1. His right hand and his holy, holy arm have gotten him the victory. Whose right hand? His. And you need to always remember that. Colossians 2, verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know victory is a gift? In any situation you go, God gives you a gift. It's called victory. God wants you to be more than conquerors through Christ. There's never a time when he won't do it. But it's God who fights for you. It's not you who get the victory. It's a gift God gives you by his work. He does it. It's his right hand that does it. It's not yours. Don't ever get the idea that you'll accomplish it. You won't. But if you believe God, you'll find he'll give it you as a gift. It's a free gift. 2,000 years ago, Calvary happened. 2,000 years ago, every sin you committed was nailed to that tree. Jesus took it into his own body. Every disease you have went on that tree. 2,000 years ago. You had nothing to do with it. You weren't there. You couldn't do anything about it, but God took your sin on Calvary's tree into his own body. On the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. When he rose, he showed that every sin, every disease, every sickness had no power. Death could not hold him. He rose up triumphant and victorious. He ascended into heaven, sent forth the Holy Ghost. The victory was accomplished 2,000 years ago. The fight is over. The victory is won. The devil is defeated. Every principality, every power, every devil. You don't always see it because God moves in little by little to give you the land. He only does it so that you can possess what he gives you. He's sensible. He knows your capacity. He knows your ability. But the victory is complete. It's given. It's a gift. To you, victory. No matter what realm you're in, how far you've gone, you're victorious up to that point. And you'll be victorious all the time because God would have to deny himself and deny what he did not to give you the victory. It's impossible for you not to win if you walk in God. Absolutely impossible. You'll always be victorious guarantee you because he guaranteed it 2,000 years ago and he predestinated you and if you don't believe it's guaranteed listen to what he said to the disciples 
This was prior to Calvary. He said this, I go away. I'll prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, but where I am there you may be also. Where was he going? He was going up to glory. He was saying to the disciples before Calvary, hey, it's already done and I'm preparing a place for you. And I'm preparing a place for those that are coming after as well. Now sheep to gather that aren't of this fold. And that was you. God's already prepared a place in heaven for you. It's all done. Jesus went to do it. And there's no way he isn't going to bring you through. The victory is assured. He was confident. He turned to Peter, he said, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he might sift thee of wheat. But I pray for you that your faith won't fail. When you're converted, strengthen the brethren. You say, well, Peter was going to deny him. Yeah, he was. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because the end is always assured. Whatever battle you go through, doesn't matter. Victory is always guaranteed. He's prepared a place for you. And that place can't remain empty for eternity. You have to fulfill the place and he'll get you there. You see, it's God who's salvation. He's your redeemer. He's your savior. He's the one who takes you there. You cannot fail to get there. It's prepared. It's predestined. There's no way God's going to use all his power, all his strength, all his sovereign ability, all his might to bring you to the place he intends you to accomplish and live in. And he will do it. He's a sovereign God. Don't ever think it's you. If you're relying on yourself, I've got news for you, you'll never make it. But I've got news for you, there's a saviour who said he'll do it. He'll save them to the uttermost. That's faith in God. That's how a Christian lives. Hey, I, I know it's guaranteed. I, I've got full assurance. Do I believe you can be saved and lost? No. Because what God begins, he perfects. Once I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God. I was born into the family. The prodigal son, even though he went off, he was still a son took him time to come to himself and come back to father's house but he came back to father's house he knew what father's house was where father's house was and he was welcomed back as a son there's no way you can lose your birthright you can't sell it you can't lose it if you're born from above you're guaranteed God will get you through I think it was dear old T.L. Osborne, the other time I was in Tulsa with him, it, uh, he, he, we were visiting, he said to me, you know, he said, real opposition and trials are what makes you grow. Without them, you just become weak and flabby. But when you have opposition and trials, that's what makes you grow. It's what brings about manhood. And God intends us to quit ourselves like men. Sorry, ladies. Um, you know, you've got to get a bit of manliness about you um, in the right sense. You know what I mean. God is God. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 1, believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments, 
For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, it's to do with God. My faith is God-given. It's a gift. And whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, he doesn't mention the devil because the devil's defeated. He says, you've overcome. You go back to the last chapter, he said, you've overcome the wicked one. You know, that was done. But glory to God, you overcome the world. The world. We're overcomers. Why? Because we're born of God. Anyone born of God is an overcomer. Overcome everything. We're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. That is the life you live. It's a glorious life. Life of victory. God has promised us the victory. He's purchased the victory. And he's proclaimed the victory throughout his book. You find all the children of God always arrive where he intends. Right through this book. Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha everyone and Jesus why he said it's finished victory is assured nothing can stop it God's going to prepare a place for you and he said I'll come and receive you nothing will stop that what's the victory that overcomes the world our faith my faith in him not my faith in myself faith in Con no, my faith in him. He is the mighty conquering king. Therefore, I don't need to fight. Why? The Lord shall fight for you. Just rest in peace. The devil's in trouble. The world's in trouble. Why? We're overcomers. Why? We believe. So, so easy. It's so easy so easy that's why I don't believe in spiritual warfare or strategic level spiritual warfare I believe God I believe his word I believe Jesus who's risen he's wonderful almighty all-powerful and he'll never let me down he will not fail me he will not forsake me he won't fail you he won't forsake you that is guaranteed. Amen? It's so easy, isn't it? Stand still and see the salvation of God. You know the wonderful thing to do in life is to watch God work things out. Watch how God lifts people up. Watch how God brings things to pass. God's in charge. As I said all that time ago, I could look and think, well, Three people in a living room in a town not four miles away. What was God going to do? I remember when we built this building, first of all, and it was 18 years ago, 19 years ago, we built this building and I walked in through the door at the end. There was nothing inside. It was just a shell. And I walked in and I thought, goodness me, you could almost put a 747 in this place. How are we ever going to fill it? And now I'm wondering, how can we expand it? Expanded it that way. Knocked down a wall, expanded it that way. We've expanded every way we can. Why? Because God is God. He gave it to us little by little. I always worry when there's mushroom growth, watch out. It needs to be steady. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Family by family, God adds. And it's wonderful, because he gives us the victory. Amen? Isn't it easy? God's word is so clear. It's so easy. It really is. He always gives me the victory. 
Put your hand on your chest. If you can find it. Some of you can look at it. You can. So, I will always get the victory. Because it's a gift from God. To me. Victory. In every situation, my God will fight for me. The devil's in trouble. We'll overcome the world. Because God has promised. And he cannot lie. I believe him. Isn't that easy? It's called living. You need to believe God. That's all. You know, Moses just believed God and got on and did it. That's all you have to do. It's faith. It's so, so easy.